0: alternative perspectives, and genuine collaboration. Our special guest today is an award-winning author, nationally recognized speaker, and a savvy publishing strategist. Jen T. Grace is the founder and CEO of Publish Your Purpose, PYP. It's an acclaimed hybrid publishing company that gives first-time authors the support and the secrets to get their books written. PYP helps them to find an eager audience, and marks their place in the publishing world. I appreciate and admire that PYP, Publish Your Purpose, is a certified B Corp. What I appreciate most about you, Jen, is your investment in others in a deep and meaningful way. You help authors find their purpose, and you push them to go deeper. Thank you for what you do in the world, and so grateful to have you here on ROG. Oh, thank you for that. I love that introduction. So tell us a little bit about you, Jen. Please offer us some background on your life.
1: Well, the professional background is that, as you said, I'm I'm a book publisher. And so that began back in, I guess, 2012 is when I first, I wrote my first book and I published it in 2013, published again and again and again. And I've written six books And everyone, when I was doing my third book, everyone I knew was like, well, how did you know how to do this? How did you know how to do that? I was getting questions in every direction. And so I was like, all right, maybe I can put something together where I can just teach people how to do it. And so I started doing that in 2015. It is now 2022 at the time of this recording. And I still run that program, but I also started PYP in 2016 to because I just had so many authors being like, yeah, 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 you're showing me how to do it, but I just rather have you do it for me. I was like, well, that wasn't my plan, but here we are. And so mm-hmm. I ended up uh, starting a publishing company without like just a complete leap of faith, did not look into what it took to do it. I just leapt and hoped for the best.
0: Yes. And, you know, that is a generosity story because you learned yourself the hard way. And then you thought, how can I help people get there without? as many bumps and bruises as I went through. And then you created this system and now you're helping people actually get their books in the hands of their eager audiences, which I love. Where did you grow up? And tell me a little bit about your like family and you personally.
1: I grew up in Rhode Island and I come from a pretty dysfunctional family. And I wrote my memoir that was published in fall of 2020 called House on Fire, which kind of chronicles the all of the the chaos of which I was brought up in, but you know, it's one of those things. And, and now like, you know, we're recording this in May and my mother passed on April 1st, four years ago. My dad passed on May 2nd, 25 years ago. And so this time of year is like one of those like very reflective times of year for me, because I think a lot of times people think like it's spring and things are blooming and life and vibrancy. And to me, spring is very much just kind of like death for a while. And then till like, we're in June, then I'm like, okay, now I'm, now I'm in better spirits. So, it's kind of it's interesting that we're having this conversation now because I feel like I'm just more of a, in a reflective zone. So, thinking about even in a very traumatic and tumultuous childhood, to have to be able to find the the joy and things like the little things. I have a twisted sense of humor, as I think a lot of people do, especially when you come back come from like some kind of traumatic past. I think twisted sense of humors are often inter, interlocked somehow. <laughs>
0: I agree completely. And it's helpful to mourn your losses and to really understand what you've been through. And then also to look forward. Like, what's, how can I pull what was good from that? And how can I let go of really what wasn't or what doesn't serve me anymore? and um, bring that into my future. And I, and that's, I think, another way of being generous to yourself and to the people around you. So I just think that this is a part of your DNA, Jen, (laughs) that you really want to help people and, and grow yourself and all of that. So like, what are some of the ways that you have identified generosity at work and just in general?
1: I, it's so interesting and why I was so excited to be on the show because just the idea of generosity is just, it's in my DNA. I don't know how to not operate in a, in a way in which I'm just always giving. And, you know, and I don't give to get, it's just, it it's just what happens. And so it's so mm-hmm. cyclical and it's like a boomerang. Like the more you, you can do and provide for others, the more it comes back to you. And so, It's what I love so much is that I have instilled this in my son in so many ways, not even overtly. And he's going to be 14 over the summer and not even like with an intention of doing this just by him watching what I've been doing. And so lately he and I are both volunteering for a Connecticut based nonprofit that is helping send medical supplies to Ukraine. And so I have a marketing background the, the people who founded this organization are all Ukrainian and English isn't their first language. And so I've been writing fundraising letters, doing all their social media, doing you know press releases, anything I can to support. I just don't know how to not give. Does that take up time that I should be working? Of course it does. But that it doesn't bother me because there's always still room for what needs to get done when you're focusing on other people first.
0: Mm, Where does that come from, Jen, for you? Like, where is that deep sense of like almost obligation to make a contribution?
1: I don't know. That's a great question. I like that you said the word obligation because it absolutely sometimes does feel like an obligation. And it's not just, you know, I had a friend a couple of years ago whose husband passed unexpectedly and I was the closest person to her at the time. And I, dropped everything in my life to be there for her because she didn't have anybody else to be there with her and her kids. And I had somebody say like, why, why would you, why would you do so much? I'm like, well, a, she's a friend B. She just lost her husband and C, she's got kids to take care of. Like, why wouldn't you show up for it? It's just, it's just in my DNA. I just, I don't know how to not help people. I really, I truly don't. And it's everything, it's animals, it's people, it's I have like no restrictions in terms of helping people. And, you know, maybe it's a problem. I don't know. It'll keep me busy in my retirement years. (laughs) Yes.
0: Yes. And, you know, I think that's a life well lived, in my opinion. A, A life well lived is one where you recognize the strengths and the gifts that you have. How do you do that in an environment that isn't naturally a generous environment like publishing?
1: I think that that's then the superpower. So if you are looking at whatever environment it is and there's a lack of something and you have that organically or innately, it's like the gift that you're bringing to the table. And it's interesting because I have people use the word generous on a regular basis when I'm talking to them, because in publishing, there are so many, I I won't go on a tirade here because it just, it upsets me so much. That this industry is so predatory toward first-time authors, because as a first-time author, people don't know what they don't know. They don't know the questions asked. They don't know who to trust. And it's this really predatory environment where people end up losing thousands and tens of thousands of dollars. And so I tell people, I'm like, I will talk to somebody, even if I know that they're not going to be a right fit for my company or that we're not going to do business together. I feel like that shouldn't negate my willingness to help them in their next step on this journey. Because so Mm -hmm. often it's just a very, it's like a closed door of like, oh, you don't have enough money to work with me? Move on, move to the next person. And so for me, my personal mission in publishing is to just share information with first-time authors of what they should be paying attention to and what they should be looking out for, even if it's not working with me. I talked to a woman this morning And very clearly wasn't the right fit for us just based on the type of book she was writing. And I was like, but let me connect you to my friend, Lisa, who also is a publisher. And I know she publishes these types of books. So let me make that connection. And she's like, oh my God, that's so, that's so kind of you. And I'm like, well, like, to me, it's like, get back to your word of obligation. It's almost like, I feel like obligated to make sure that they get to the next step in the process without being ripped off or taken advantage of.
0: Mm. And, you know, I think a lot, thank you for that. I think a lot of people are excited about their own message and curious about, you know, what is their big idea and how can they share that with the world? You seem curious and motivated by that and really excited about how can you help other people, you know, publish your purpose, right? How do, how can you get that out to the world? What is it about that that excites you so much?
1: I am a terminally curious human being. I think that's what it comes down to. I am interested in so many things, like from quantum physics to like the environment, like it does like all of the things interest me. And so that's the beautiful thing about publishing books is that every time we bring a new author into our family, I now have a new subject that I get to learn alongside of supporting them. So it's like a win-win to be able to, to learn While we're working with somebody, and I'm just a nerd about business models and around business strategy. So every time we work with somebody, I get to kind of geek out on like how their business is structured and use that information to kind of help the next person too. So there's kind of like a piece of just curious about everything and almost to a compulsion. And I'm fine with that, it's just who I am. But the other side of it is that if I go back in time to 20, I don't know, 2016, maybe 25, a while ago. I was doing a keynote speech in uh, at a, a fortune company and I had an aha moment that hit me like a ton of bricks. I was standing, I think there was like 5,000 people there. It was like a good size audience. I was getting paid very good money to be standing on that stage, to be speaking to them. And I was standing backstage and I was just kind of like looking at people milling about in their round tables and whatever. And I was thinking, what if I were the one that was actually behind the scenes and I was helping other people stand on the stage that I'm standing on, how much bigger of an impact could I make? Because I can stand on the stage, you can stand on the stage. We're going to impact that individual community of people who happen to be there live, who are experiencing it with us. But if I can be the catalyst behind hundreds of authors getting their thought leadership and their message and their purpose on a stage, how much greater of an impact and legacy can I leave? In you know behind and right now I think we're at almost 150 books that we've published, and so even if one of those you know even if what each of those 150 people only talked to 500 people that's still significantly larger than my one individual impact of that, that room of 5,000. So that was really kind of the catalyst where I'm like, I love being on a stage. I love talking to people. I will do it all day long, but I also love being the engine behind the scenes that nobody sees or even knows what's happening, getting other people into that spotlight so they can, they can execute on their purpose.
0: When we come back, Jen will share the three-legged stool of winning.
1: With years of experience, Moz Travels is a complete disability services consulting firm. We specialize in accessible travel and tourism. Working with governments, hoteliers and businesses, ministries of tourism and travel destinations around the world, we conduct accessibility compliance audits to ensure your place of business is accessible and inclusive for everyone. We'll teach you how to increase your tourism revenues and we'll train your staff how to recruit, hire, and communicate with people who have a disability. Contact us at www.moztravels.com. That's M-A-A-H-S travels.com.
0: And we're back with award-winning author, nationally recognized speaker, and savvy publishing specialist, Jen T. Grace. You have interviewed several of your authors. So those of us who haven't heard of their work, but we get introduced through your podcast, which of course will be in the show notes for everyone to enjoy. And what I've really appreciated about a lot of these authors that you have attracted and who are doing work with PYP is their, their unique lens on life. They are telling very personal stories. You know, they're sharing their lived experiences, which really helps the individual who is writing the story to get it out, which I know is a very painful process. It helps the people who have similar stories but haven't written about them yet, so they feel related to. And then I also think it helps people who haven't had those lived experiences but could really appreciate it like as an ally. Mm-hmm. And that's that's some of the the ways in which I've heard you speak to your guests. So I'm just curious to hear your thoughts on the ripple effect of this whole process of putting a book out into the world.
1: You know, I think you just really kind of summarized it really well. Like I it's like a three-legged stool, right, where and I've always operated this way even in the consulting business that I had prior to this publishing company is that whatever whatever I am touching I have to win, which could be, you know, described in whatever way that is. The person I'm working with has to win also, however they want to describe that and define it. And then some community that's larger than both of us has to be the beneficiary of that collaboration. So that's how I used to see it from my consulting. And it's the same thing now. So... Yeah. It's just, it's just one of those things that, you know, our authors or just authors in general, it is not an easy process to tell your story, but I do think that there's something magical about just feeling seen. So like our podcast is called invisible stories, right to be seen. So the author is, is feeling that visibility, but then on the other side of it, right. It's the, it's the community who might not know about a certain topic. And so I think that that's also kind of a good Good component of allyship, too, of how we, you know because you can be an ally for any number of topics, right? like it doesn't it doesn't have to be defined based on gender identity or sexual orientation, which is often kind of how allyship is like bucketed. You can be an ally for pretty much anything. And so we just have to show up and do it. And the more books that are out there that are coming from that unique perspective and lens, the more reach and more seen someone who might be feeling isolated you know, they have access to whatever that information is. That's the key, right? Because you and I can be, and this is a perfect example, right? Like you and I are having a conversation. We could be having this conversation privately and both walk away feeling really good, but why not be having it where there's an audience of people listening to it who can piece apart whatever their takeaways are and feel, you know, more seen or valued or whatever the thing is. You know, there's something just really beautiful about knowing that someone is going to benefit. And that's one of the kind of, weeding out mechanisms that I use when I decide who we're going to work with. Because it's not to say that we could publish any kind of book, like that—that's like the mechanics are the mechanics. But we work best when people have that bigger mission that they are just burning to get into the world, where they're going to do whatever they need to do to get that message out there. It's about getting it in the hands of the readers who need to hear the message. That's when I know like, this isn't going to be a right fit. Let me send them to somebody else who will be a right fit. So it's kind of nice to have that, that three-legged stool that really helps kind of guide who we do and don't work with. Yes, and the other
0: thing I like about that, Jen, and I'm going to use it in my own life, is it helps me to establish boundaries Mm -hmm. around the investments that I want to make. Because I think as a generous leader, we could burn out if Mm -hmm. we just give, 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 right? And we don't have any limits on that uh, or criteria. Mm -hmm. So it's like, if something fits this criteria, and that's pretty broad even, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're defining success, I'm defining success, we're agreeing on Mm -hmm. our own definitions. But then it just helps me to know what to say no to. Right. If there's Mm -hmm. ever a situation where it's like, yeah, this doesn't feel like it's going to make the kind of impact that I would be most compelled to want to support.
1: Yeah. So well said. And I also think this is where the generosity comes in, because if you have your your defining metrics for how you're going to say, okay, this is someone who's going to fit the criteria of what I'm looking for. The generosity piece pops in when it's like, okay, instead of just saying like, no, how can you still support them into their next step? That is to me is the critical piece, at least in publishing and how I've always, even in my consulting work, I operated the same way. Like if it wasn't something I could do, I would make sure I could get it to someone who could.
0: Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. We're all a work in progress and everybody's got different capacities and also different ways of self-care and renewal Mm -hmm. and restoration. So I've heard a lot of podcasts and read things about you as a publisher where you push people to go deeper, like people mm-hmm. will send you their manuscript. They might think it's done and your feedback to them is great draft, but go deeper. Tell me about what you're looking for and what, what intuitively you know when you, you're like, there's more here.
1: If we look at books, I I often say, think about the last nonfiction book that you read that you didn't finish. If we think about that, I don't know what the number is, but there was a number at one point that was like 40% of books aren't finished. It was some really high number. If we look at the why, it's because there's no voice from the author. A lot of times, especially as a nonfiction writer, if we're writing about you know something you know some kind of business consulting leadership generosity whatever it might be there's the there's the how to piece of what you're talking about right like there's okay you can you can be more generous by doing xyz that's good content it's good material people need to hear that but they don't want to hear it from some voiceless words popping off of a page they want to hear it from Shannon so what i see oftentimes and i have editors like this is their skill set editing is not my skill set but i talk to somebody And it's like your personality is beaming. Like we need to make sure that that is clear as to who you are. So the reader is engaged with you as the author, as well as your words. And so that I think is just a really kind of critical piece to the process because our authors are also speakers. There are varying levels of speakers. We have some that make $500 for a speech and they're excited. We have some that get $40,000 keynotes. They're all over the map. When we look at, like, think about a conference that you went to and you found, you know, the speaker on the stage was this brilliant human being. You're like, oh my God, I am in love with this person. I'm now a fangirl. I need to go buy all of their books. I have had it happen where you have this dynamic, engaging, amazing speaker, and then you go buy their book and it is the most boring, dry thing you have ever read. And you're like, wait a minute, did I buy the wrong book? Is this the same person? And it's the reverse where you might pick up a book and it's super amazing, engaging, and dynamic. And you're like, oh my God, that person's going to speak. I have to go see them. And they are dry and boring on a stage. It's not to say that dry or boring is negative or wrong, but you have to be consistent. So if you present dry and boring, write dry and boring. If you present engaging, right engaging. Like it has to be consistent or else the reader and the audience member is like, what is going on here? So that's where my pushing typically comes in. And I tell people that I play three roles at all times. I am first and foremost, a strategist because we want to make sure that your book is getting into the hands of the right people and and having the impact that you want it to have. Mm. But then I'm also a therapist because I'm constantly pushing them on the on the ledge, taking them off the ledge. Like it's definitely a push-pull throughout the whole process. And then a cheerleader because you need somebody who's amping you up and like telling you like you can do it, you've got this, like you're almost there. So it's this kind of combination of these three pieces that I feel like help people go deeper even when they don't want to go deeper. And then I have the support of my editing team and my project manager to be like, all right, how do we like really push them to go further? Because I know there's something there mm. because we know that that book is going to get read significant, it's going to, someone's going to finish that book when they're like, oh, wow. Like the Shannon person's like really awesome. And like, I want to know more. I want to go subscribe to this podcast. I want, I want, I want, because they want more of you because you spent the time and effort to be your raw and vulnerable self. Mm. But it's hard to be our raw and vulnerable selves without a little encouragement from others.
0: Yes. Ah, so good. And for us to think about how can we be willing, you know, what, what, what do we need to be encouraged to get out there and then Mm -hmm. how can we also be those roles for other people to encourage Mm -hmm. them to share their voice right I think that's another way to look at this because for some of us there we're hearing your encouragement and thinking gosh I think I'm a secret too Mm -hmm. or I know this other person that's got this dynamic message and I want to be a catalyst for their exposure and their recognition of their story. That's just important for us to say when you recognize the potential in others, we need to be willing to be the push and tell them and not assume that they already know or think yeah. it's none of our business because that might actually be the voice that they needed to hear to go take the leap.
1: Mm-hmm. It's just like basic empowerment. I think we can stay on the theme of women, but I think in general, there's a lot of different directions, but just saying like, Hey, I love your necklace today. Or because I think we think these things a lot of, you know, whether, you know, what someone's wearing or maybe something they just said that really resonated well, Mm. I feel like, why wouldn't we just say, Hey, even if it's a stranger, like, Oh my God, I love your shoes. Or I love your watch. Like, because it makes you feel good being on the receiving end of that. And it makes Mm. you feel good being the one that just said it to a random stranger. Yes. And it's a connection,
0: right? And it's, it's the beginning of a connection. That might be the beginning and the end. But it could be, you know, you exchange a smile, you both get that joy of knowing that you acknowledged each other, um, and that just feels good. So speaking of things feeling good and, and these like unintentional positive benefits, like I don't think that you tell someone that you love their shoes so that they can make you feel good, but the fact is you do feel good. So what are some of the other returns on generosity that you've experienced, Jen?
1: such an interesting question. I feel like you've got really good questions. You know, I think I don't, I just, again, it's like a way of being that I don't even know that I can like pull it apart from Mm -hmm. just my everyday existence. Like, and I think because I'm constantly helping other people that I'm constantly getting reinforcements that I'm helping other people and I'm not doing it for the reinforcements, but it is a cycle that just keeps turning. And so I am. So there's a nonfiction writers conference that is happening at least at the time of this recording. And I'm one of the, ask the experts. And so they said like, what time do you have? Like it's for conference attendees or VIPs that want to schedule time to talk to a publisher. And I'm like, I'll do it. Like, what do I have to lose? And so it's like 15 minute calls and they're like back to back to back to back for three days this week. And so I just, I'm like, oh my God, I love, because I love talking to people. So yesterday I talked to a woman who's also a publisher and I'm giving her like all of the tips and advice that I can think of. And so she's like, oh my God, that's so generous of you. You didn't have to, you didn't have to tell me like all these things. I'm like, yeah, but why wouldn't I want to help you? Like, I think the rising tide floats all boats and the more we can have... Ethically operating people in this industry, the better everybody is served. So it's things like that that I don't even think about mm-hmm. that I just say yes to because I'm like, oh, this would be fun, and it's going to help somebody. Yeah. And then you know, and and I heard the word generous twice yesterday in two different calls, and I was like, oh, good timing considering we're having this conversation today. So <laughs> I don't know; it's just, it's hard for me to parse out because yeah. it's just who I am and how I operate. Exactly.
0: It, it, it's so true because for leaders like you, it's like me asking you. So talk to me about breathing. Tell me how that's going. You know, how do you do that so that we can do that? And you're like, yeah. um, I don't know. It's just happening. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, thank you for that. So all of our guests share a favorite quote or mantra, a life motto. What's yours,
1: Jen? If I go back in time to when I was on my first board of directors, I... I had to work my, I was only 25 and I had to like really work hard to get the respect of all of these people. I was 25, everyone else was probably, you know, mid forties, fifties and up. Mm -hmm. And at the time that seemed like a big age gap. Obviously now I'm like, well, yeah, none of these ages are old. But I had to work really hard to like find, to get them to respect me to be on the board. And I remember having a conversation with one of the board members who I still love and adore to this day. And it's been, you know, 16 years at this point. And I don't know what I was trying to do, but I learned because I ended up being the executive director of this organization later, a couple of years later. But what I knew as a board member is that if you want anything to be voted on in a way that is helpful and advantageous to what you're trying to champion, you have to get everyone's individual buy-in before you get to the meeting. And so I remember having a conversation. Her name's Lisa. I remember having a conversation with Lisa and I was like, well, I think I should do, I want to like propose that we do this. I think this is how it's going to benefit. I had the whole like plan figured out. And she's like, you know what you need to do. You just need to do it, and then you ask for forgiveness later. Never ask for permission. And I was like, ooh, that's good. And so I have taken that since I was twenty five. Um, because she was she. I think she saw my passion and didn't want to slow me down, and was just like, do it the hell with it. We'll see. Like if there's any repercussions, fine. But I just thought that was brilliant. Of like, just ask for forgiveness, don't ask for permission.
0: Mm, so good, and for many of our listeners, that's important advice to get today. If there's something that you really feel passionate about and you are on this planet to do that thing, or it's just something you want to do, and you know that going the more, what do you want to say about that? Like the um, like going through the the policies and you know the right the right process. It might just be wall after wall after wall, and you may not ever get it done. That's yeah. so good. Oh, well, thank you for being the kind of leader that leads by example. You, know, you are giving us some snippets of how you operate and what you prioritize that are helping us to see what it feels like to be in the company of a generous leader. And I really mm-hmm. appreciate you, Jen.
1: Yeah, thank you. I, I love this conversation. I feel like I, I need to be in more conversations like this. <laughs>
0: Oh, thank you for joining us.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. This was awesome.
0: ROG takeaway tip. How to apply what we've learned to our own work and lives. Jen is so dynamic and interesting. One of the best things about Jen is her authenticity. She's 100% herself. What would it look like and sound like for you to be fully yourself? She used the phrase, I am who I am, and I'm good with that. May we all find peace and pleasure with ourselves for who we are. Here are three things that we can apply to our own lives. Number one, share your experiences with others along the way. Jen does this in publishing. She wants to help people find their way and avoid obstacles. How can you share what you know to help others avoid or better navigate the pitfalls that they are likely going to encounter? Number two, recognize others. Offer a compliment. Acknowledge something positive. Make a connection. It's good for both of you. And number three, ask for forgiveness, not permission. What's something you really want to do? You know it will matter, but asking permission will likely delay it happening or kibosh the initiative altogether. Do it. Take action. Generosity is not just seeing what needs to be done It's doing what needs to be done. Please join me next week for Building Bridges generous leadership coaching tip on feedback. Until then, stay generous, everyone. Thanks for listening to ROG, Return on Generosity podcast. Please help us grow by subscribing and reviewing us on your favorite podcast player. And for more information, visit BridgeBetween.com. We grow when we give.
1: We grow when we give. We grow when we give.